Hey church, another chance to be together online this week and get into a time of worship. I encourage you as usual to really choose to engage and be blessed by this time. Come on. I saw Satan fall like lightning. I saw darkness run for cover. Yeah. But the miracle that I just can't get over, my name is registered in heaven. I believe in signs and wonders. I have resurrection power. Still the miracle that I just can't get over My name is registered in heaven Yeah, my praise belongs to you forever This is my testimony from death to life Cause grace rewrote my story I'll testify by Jesus Christ the righteous I'm justified testimony this is my testimony Ooh, come together sons and daughters bought with blood and washed in water sing the praises of the spirit son and father what he started yes our God will finish what he started this is my testimony from death to life cause grace rewrote my story I'll testify by Jesus Christ the righteous I'm justified this is my testimony this is my testimony Dead to the self, alive in Christ. If I'm not dead, you're not done. Greater things are still to come. Oh, I believe. If I'm not dead, you're not done. Greater things are still to come. Oh, I believe. If I'm not dead, you're not done. Greater things are still to come Oh, I believe If I'm not dead, you're not done Greater things are still to come Oh, I believe This is my testimony From dead to life Cause grace rewrote my story I'll testify by Jesus Christ the righteous, I'm justified. This is my testimony. Oh, I'm alive. This is my testimony from dead to life. Cause grace rewrote my story. I'll testify. By Jesus Christ the righteous, I'm justified. This is my testimony. 
Well, thank you so much for being a part of our worship service and diving into worship with us. Well, man, as a church family, one of the things that we love to do for you is pray. And so if there's any way we can be a resource for you, we'd love to pray over any of your concerns. You can text us at 97,000, any of your prayer requests, and we'd be honored to pray for you. Well, um, if you would be interested in learning more about the ministries that we have at ABF, please go ahead and check out our website. We've got things for youth. We've got things for senior adults and everywhere in between. So go to our website and check out all the resources that we have for you. Well, the only way that we can continue making videos like this in our ministry on Sunday mornings and throughout the week is through uh, your generous donations. So if you would love to give to us, we'd uh, appreciate it if you just go on our website and hit the Give tab and uh, support our ministries. That would be a huge blessing to us at ABF. Well, before we jump into our message, I'd love to just offer a prayer to everyone here online listening. Father God, we love you so much, and we are grateful for your presence in our lives, and you are at work in our lives. No matter where we're at, God, you are there, and we acknowledge that. So Lord, as we come to hear your word, God, would your truth resonate in our hearts, souls, and minds. God, speak to us. May your Holy Spirit do a work in us. Uh, prepare us for what you want to teach us. We love you. And we pray all these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, church. Well, thank you, Adrian. Thank you, worship team. Good to be in a time of worship. Now diving into God's word. And we're continuing working our way through this supporting cast series and uh, having some uh, fun with that last week. This week, uh, we're continuing with the obscure character idea, but not any tattoos. Obviously, uh, I actually had some people ask me last week if I actually had gotten a real tattoo. wanted to make sure it was clear that I had not so that my uh, father doesn't uh, kill me. But our next character that we're about to study is probably somebody more likely that I'd want to have his name uh, tattooed. His name is Ebedmelech, and his name has a, such a cool meaning. His name means servant of the king. So most uh, historians believe or most uh, theologians believe that this wasn't his actual birth name, but it was a name that was uh, given to him based on his role as the literal, as a literal servant of the present day uh, king. It's really, if you think about it, a title you'd want to have tattooed because every single Jesus follower, that should be our heart and our desire is to be a servant of the king. Really, it'll take a little bit of backstory, though, here today to see the significant uh, role that uh, Ebedmelech actually plays in Scripture. So we're going to start with a little bit of uh, backstory of what's happening in the nation of Israel. This is happening, uh, first off, found in Jeremiah chapter 38, the account. And basically what's been going on is after Josiah, who Josh talked about a few weeks back, after he was the very last good God-honoring king, they're follow he's followed with a, a series of just uh, poor kings that are just taking them further and further down the road of abandonment from God. And our current king that we're going to be looking at in our story today is uh, Josiah's third son. He's named, his name is Zedekiah. 
Zedekiah, I'm sure, uh, had a, a, played a big part in the direction that the nation was heading, and that direction was not a good one. It was one of idolatry, it was one of infidelity, it was one of, of chasing false gods. It was uh, sexual misconduct. It, they, they were known for every form of depravity, just like their surrounding neighbors. I'm sure Josiah, if he could have seen this taking place, it would have broken his heart. It's a great reminder to parents that even the best kings have prodigals. So this being his uh, third son. But in God's mercy, as we see throughout the Old Testament, he's a God of second and third and fourth and fifth chances. In God's mercy, God chooses to send to Israel a prophet by the name of Jeremiah. You're most likely familiar with that name. He was a Jewish priest that was sent with a specific message. And the specific message was this. He was to confront the sin of Israel and to call them back to repentance. He was providing a way out, a way of rescue if they would turn and come back to the Lord. It's kind of a reoccurring invitation in the Old Testament as well as the new. Come back to the Lord, repent, turn to him, and he will forgive you. Second Chronicles 7.14, I think, captures this idea just perfectly. This is the same charge that Jeremiah was giving the people. He says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. This could be appropriately applied to our present day situation, our nation coming, the invitation to come back to the Lord. Well, Jeremiah has devoted his life to this message, to specifically speak the words that God had given him to the people of Israel. But unfortunately, it was not a message that was very well received. Let me just pray before we get into this week's text. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to gather around your word and the way that it tends to speak to us and how the issues that they faced back then are really the same issues that we deal with today. The draw of the world towards worldliness and the invitation that is ever looming to come to you for rep in repentance, to experience forgiveness. God, I pray for even the person listening now that that's really God's a call in their life, that that's your call for their heart to return to you. Maybe even may this time be a, a, a first step, a first step towards return. We invite that in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So as I was mentioning, Jeremiah was very committed to the same message of repentance. And really it was a, unfortunately a unpopular one. He was proclaiming to them that, listen, if you don't repent, if you don't return to the Lord, there's going to be consequence. There's going to be judgment. This was not very well received by the people of that day. In fact, in Jeremiah's 40 years 
of faithful ministry. There's only two converts mentioned in all of his ministry. One of the converts is ascribed by the name of Baruch that's actually writing this account of Jeremiah that's collected all of this content. And the second response is the character that we're going to be looking at or introduced to shortly, Ebedmelech. So really two converts, you can see how Jeremiah's life and ministry would have potentially been a bit discouraging based on the response of the people. And it's a great reminder for us that we're not graded on response. We're graded on our faithful, compassionate, loving presentation of God's message that he's entrusted to us. And what is that message? The message that he's entrusted to us is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Really very similar to what Jeremiah's message is, is that we have sinned. We have gone our own way. We're in the pit of our sin, stuck and entangled. And without rescue, we will meet pending judgment. But thankfully, God in his kindness sent Jesus Christ to die for us, to absorb the penalty of our sin, to rise again on the third day, and through faith to offer forgiveness of sins and to have our lives restored and that relationship with God restored. That's the message that we're charged with. But it's easy, as I mentioned, to get discouraged when people don't respond to that message. And I'll tell you what, free will is such a booger I remember when I was younger taking different teams out to these uh, local public malls and having opportunities to interact with people about Jesus Christ. I remember uh, on a regular basis, this one outdoor mall outside of Chicago that we'd go to, we'd debrief after our time together and uh, we'd meet over at Chipotle, the perfect place to debrief and to refuel. We'd come together and just talking with these different students and a lot of them be like, man, it's just so discouraging, man. It would seem like somebody was open to hearing truth, but after the, the conversation, there's just no movement. It's just like there's this wall in the way. Well, similar wall that Jeremiah encountered in Jerusalem so many years back. In fact, not only did he have resistance to his message, they actually eventually began to call him a traitor. Why a traitor, you might ask? Basically, it called a traitor because what he prophesied, what the message that God told him is say, if you don't turn and repent, your neighbors to the north are going to come down destroy the city, and, and, and you're, you're going to be uh, sent as captives to a foreign land. So he's giving them very specific details. So when Babylon and their army is coming in and camping around the city and moving towards them, they're assuming that he must be kind of trying to work with the enemy. It's kind of a whole messed up thing. And in fact, uh, in fact, Jeremiah tries to warn them saying, listen, the only way that you're going to be able to rescue your or save your lives is if you actually surrender to them. Usually that goes against everything within us. Our pride tells us, do not surrender. You got to keep fighting. But sometimes that's exactly what God calls us to say, I can't do it. I can't rescue me. I need you. Well, you see in our account in Jeremiah 38 that they were resistant to this idea of surrender. 
chapter 38, verse 4. We'll pick up in our text there today. It says, Then the officials said to the king, Let this man be put to death. Talking about Jeremiah. For he is weakening the hands of the soldiers who are left in this city and the hands of all the people by seek, speaking such words to them. For this man is not seeking the welfare of his people, but their harm. King Zedekiah said, Behold, he is in your hands, for the king can do nothing against you. So they took Jeremiah, cast him into the cistern of Malchiah, the king's son, which was in the court of the guard, letting Jeremiah down by ropes. And there was no water in the cistern, but only mud. And Jeremiah sank in the mud. So what's happening here, I was starting to point out that the king's officials don't feel like Jeremiah is helping the morale at all in the city. If you think about it, if the city's under siege and you've got somebody there that's saying, oh, just turn over, just give up, surrender, you can see how that wouldn't necessarily help out the morale of the soldiers that are intended to defend the city. But here was the thing. Jeremiah was concerned about the lives of the people, not about sustaining the political and government system that was in place. There's usually a collision there, even present day, where people that are in authority aren't necessarily concerned about the well-being of the people they're representing, but instead trying to figure out how they can sustain their positions of authority. Well, that's the case here. They saw him as a threat. So we're told that they lowered him into a cistern. A cistern would be similar to the idea of a well, but that would be filled up during uh, rainy seasons. But during dry seasons, it would start to go further and further down and eventually just le leaving this mucky uh, mud at the bottom. So we're told that they lower him into this cistern and he's left at the bottom of that. Or who knows how deep of mud, whether it's up to his neck or up to his knees, either way, he is legit stuck. Anybody that thinks of themselves as being stuck in a pit, man, this is literally Jeremiah is stuck in a pit and his life is on the line. Why is his life on the, the line? The reality is, is there's no rescue out of this. The city is now under siege by Babylon. Most likely nobody's thinking or looking to bring food and water to Jeremiah. So he's about to face a slow, agonizing death from deprivation. It really seemed inevitable at this point of his life. Unless somebody were to act and respond quickly, really, he's going to experience a miserable next short-lived week of his life. And here's the thing, by looking from an outsider's perspective, you would assume, man, where is God? Has God forgotten him? Has he abandoned him? Is he not seen by God? Here's that's the, so often the assumption that we make when we don't see God specifically moving, but so often God is coordinating and moving things behind the scenes for our rescue. And that's exactly the case here where we're about to be finally introduced to our character, Ebedmelech, who's going to enter into the story. Continue in Jeremiah chapter 38, now in verse 7. It says, When Ebedmelech 
the Ethiopian, a eunuch who was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah into the cistern. The king was sitting in the Benjamin gate. Ebedmelech went from the king's house and said to the king, my lord, the king, these men have done evil in all that they did to Jeremiah, the prophet, by casting him into the cistern, and he will die there of hunger, for there is no bread left in the city. So what's happening here? First, we're introduced to this particular gentleman, finally introduced to Ebedmelech. Notice a couple things about him. First thing that you'll notice is this man wasn't a Jew. He was a different nationality. We're told that he was an Ethiopian. So he would have had dark skin. He would have looked very different than the rest of the people in the city there. So he's a foreign slave that's been elevated to a somewhat prominent position. We're also told that he's a eunuch, perhaps because he's the head of Zedekiah's harem. That's usually or often the only one position that requires this disliked procedure to be performed. So he's living a, a, lived a pretty tough life in that position, obviously. But it's interesting how often God sends rescue for the most unassuming places. Seems like Ebedmelech is the male version of Rahab, ma, ma, uh, uh, another example of foreign help that God utilizes. Really, if you think about what must have been going on in Ebedmelech's mind, this was a real crossroads for him because he's realizing the risk that it is to go before the king. He has a choice to make. Am I going to sit on the sidelines and just watch this thing play out? Am I going to choose to be silent? Or am I going to take a risk and speak to the king? And here's what you notice by him going before the king. He's confronting the king's choice. How is he confronting the king's choice? Because the king had granted permission to the officials to do whatever it is that they desired to Jeremiah. He calls it exactly what it is. He refers to it as sin. He says, these men have done evil. If you think about it as the servant of the king, probably the best way that you can serve somebody to genuinely, truly serve them is to call out the sin in their life. Too few of us have somebody like that in our lives that's willing to call us out on our junk. We kind of float through life without any kind of accountability, but this is a, a precious gift if you have that person in your life. If you don't have that person in your life, you should look for those type of relationships. In this case, this was something that was important for him to see, for his eyes to be open to the evil that was happening. And what was the evil that was happening? The evil that was happening was the mistreatment, the mistreatment of the helpless. Throughout scripture, that's a reoccurring theme as well. Those who are helpless, to, that are being mistreated, that are being abused, that are being taken advantage of, that is something that breaks our God's heart and what he calls sin. So Ebedmelech actually calls it for what it is present day. That's still something that should stir in us, something that should compel us to speak up. When we see the helpless being mistreated. 
I loved this past year seeing our church rise up and assist some of our missionaries that were uh, there in a, uh, assisting Ukrainian refugees or some of us that have gotten passionate during this season that were helping the, the helpless of the uh, uh, abandoned uh, un- or, or children before birth. It's really encouraging this summer to see some of the progress with the overturn of Roe versus Wade. You see the helpless is what is near and dear to our God's heart. You see conviction should move us to act. In fact, history is marked with great men and women over time that have been moved to act, stirred by injustice, and actually done something about it. Remember a number of years back, not that long ago, but watching a movie, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's called Harriet. It's a story about Harriet Tubman. It's the account of all the radical and dangerous things she was willing to do in order to rescue just a few more say, slaves. That's the picture that we have here of Ebedman, like a willingness to speak up, to take a risk. And you think about the picture here that we're seeing is he was going to be the person that reached down into the pit and pulled Jeremiah out. So many beautiful gospel parallels there. So many of us, if you think about where our sin has landed us, leaving stuck leaving us stuck and miserable and helpless. We were in desperate need of someone reaching out. That's exactly what we're told happens in verse 10. It says, Then the king commanded Ebedmelech, the Ethiopian, take 30 men with you from here and lift Jeremiah the prophet out of the cistern before he dies. So Ebedmelech took the men with him and went to the house of the king to a wardrobe in the storehouse and took from there old rags and worn out clothes, which he let down to Jeremiah in the cistern by ropes. Then Ebedmelech, the Ethiopian, said to Jeremiah, put the rags and clothes between your armpit and the ropes. Jeremiah did so. Then they drew Jeremiah up with ropes and lifted him out of the cistern. And Jeremiah remained in the court of the guard. We'll stop there for a, a minute. So what, what's taking place here? So God obviously moved in the heart of an otherwise wicked king. He doesn't speak about owning his mistakes in it, but he, at least he's willing to, to pass on the assistance. He actually commands him to go rescue Jeremiah. Obviously, there's been a change of heart going on there. It's a great reminder for us that God, our God holds the heart of kings in his hands. Nobody's beyond his reach. Sometimes we make that assumption of somebody, but he can turn, he can change things on a dime. That's exactly what he does here. In fact, he, he sends 30 men to assist pulling Jeremiah out of this pit. I find that uh, pretty funny. It sounds like a typical uh, city job. But Ebedmelech goes and he chooses kind of a path for how to do the rescue. I find it interesting the details that were told here happen. What what does it say happens? It says Ebedmelech ends up going to the king's wardrobe, basically where they would have kept all of his clothes. I'm sure he had much wealth. And he gathers up these different cloths and different rags, maybe some old uh, shirts or whatever they have, robes, I guess it would be in that day and age, and uses those robes 
to create something that he can reach down and effectively, comfortably raise up Jeremiah. I found it really peculiar that they would include those details in this account, but it tells us a little something about this man. This man wasn't just being harsh and direct. He's like, man, I want to, he, he shows such compassionate care. He's genuinely concerned even about the chafing of the armpits of Jeremiah. He's like, I want to make sure in this rescue, we do it right. It's kind of an interesting piece of the account. And if you think about it, this would be the last person that you would expect to have compassion for a Jewish man or woman. You see, he was there, he was in that position as a a servant, most likely not under his own will or his own choice. And so likely most people would accumulate some degree of bitterness over the years. But instead, what do we see here from him? We see that God has been doing a work, not just on the king's heart, but also a work on Ebedmelech's heart as well. There's a, should be, if you think about it, the parallels here, a tenderness in our rescue plan for the world around us. A lot of times we can get mixed up that we're like, see it us versus them and like, oh, I guess I'll tell them the the gospel message. Remember a a few years back uh, going uh, downtown uh, uh, with some friends that were in town and headed down to the Hollywood area. I don't know if you've spent much time. It gets a little bit crazy down there. I, uh, while we were down there, I uh, encountered a, a lost brother of mine. You can see a picture here of that. And then after that, it was interesting as we're walking down that, that uh, stretch with all of the, the handprints there. And there's the guy that would position himself on one of the corners. And he had one of the, a handheld mic and he had one of those portable uh, speaker systems that was there. And he was just laying into people, just telling people they were sinners, they were going to hell. Now, it was interesting because I was listening to what his uh, information that he was communicating to them. And you're like, well, yeah, it's, it's accurate. Most people are stuck in their sin and it's accurate that we're headed to a Christless eternity in hell if we don't repent and come to Jesus Christ through his forgiveness. And so you're like, man, there's some accuracy in what he was saying, but here's what was missing and so often is important and critical that we don't miss. It was met missing any type of compassion for the person that was being rescued. For those of us that have that, the call to, to reach out to our friends and neighbors and family members that don't know Jesus, that it should be marked with compassion when we're reaching out to them. Think about in your own life, who it was that reached into the pit to help pull you out with the gospel message. I'm confident that it was done out of compassion and care and not done uh, with brute force. But here's the, the picture though is he's showing up to the rescue, literally pulls him out of the pit of despair. So Jeremiah getting out, we're told that he remains in the king's court. He doesn't flee. He doesn't run or hide. He stays there with the exact same message. And unfortunately, we see all of the things that he warned them about come to fruition. But in that, in the attack of Babylon, they completely destroy Jerusalem. They slaughter the majority of of Israelites living there, take just a select remaining few into captivity that God chose to protect Jeremiah 
and protect, which is interesting, also protect Ebedmelech. How do I know that? Well, jump with me just a, a chapter over. Jeremiah 39, 15, we see God's choice to protect him. It says this, verse 15, chapter 39, says, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah while he was shut up in the court of the guard. Go and say to Ebedmelech, the Ethiopian, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. I love that description. Behold, I will fulfill my words against the city for harm, not for good, and they shall be accomplished before you on that day. But I will deliver you on that day, declares the Lord, and you shall not be given into the hand of the men of whom you are afraid. For I will surely save you, and you shall not fall by the sword, but you shall save, but you shall save your life as a prize of war, because you have put your trust in me, declares the Lord. I love that. I love this uh, description of, of God's faithfulness. So Ebedmelech, I'm sure his self-sacrificing courage wasn't noticed by many people. In the middle of the siege that they were under, I'm sure everybody's busy thinking about their own deal. But you see, it didn't go unnoticed by our God. The God who sees everything chooses to bless and protect this slave. I imagine the news or that message that he was asked to be delivered by Jeremiah is just like, ah, finally a message of hope that I get to deliver. I must have felt like a million bucks to communicate that because you see, you never forget when someone has pulled you out of a pit. You never forget that. We saw that that last week directly with David and Barzillai when Barzillai helped him out. He's like, man, that was something that David remembered all the way to the end of his days. You see, it's important for us to have eyes to see who's struggling, who we can help pull out of a pit. I have a good friend uh, from my high school days. His uh, name is Rich. We uh, hung out a lot during that era of life. He lives back in Chicago. We've lost touch a bit, but I remember last time communicating or interacting with him a little bit. I think I've shared this story before, thinking about pulling somebody out during a difficult time. Yeah, they had this community cleanup thing that they were doing in the uh, town back there, and he uh, encountered this elderly woman that was actually suffering and kind of in later stages of cancer, but was trying to stay put in her own home. And so he really went the extra mile to say, hey, let me just try to help do whatever you need around the house. In fact, even after the community serve day, he's like, let me give you my number and I'll just be available. I'm here to help you during these, these difficult days. And he ended up being just a, a real friend to this uh, elderly woman. He was explaining as he shared the details. And unbeknownst to him, it's kind of a cool story, a picture of God keeping his eye on him. This woman chose in her last days of her life to write him into her will. After she ended up, and he wasn't obviously seeking that, after she ended up passing away, she ended up leaving my friend Rich over $2 million in, a, in her will, passing it on to him. Why? Because it didn't go unnoticed. When you pull somebody up, when you help somebody, I'm not saying that go out there and be kind to elderly people so you can get in their wills. That's not what I'm saying. Hear my heart in this. But the picture, the idea is that it doesn't go unnoticed and definitely 
doesn't go unnoticed to our God, who is the grand paymaster, who is the one that, that pays attention to all of it, that notices all the times that we go the extra mile. So his risk was finally rewarded. When Jerusalem finally fell, he was protected, that his life was uh, was. Uh, kept under, under the, the wing of Almighty God, a kind of a cool picture that out of all of the people of this, during this time period, this is the only guy that is mentioned out of all of the Israelites, the only guy that's mentioned that chose to place his trust in God. And here's the thing. That's exactly the reason God saved him. He's very specific about it. He says, because You have put your trust in me. That's why he's going to save him. And how did he put his trust in me? Well, his trust in him was demonstrated by his actions. Man, you cannot spend any amount of time in God's word without starting to see that pattern throughout scripture, that there's this marriage between our our works and our claim beliefs. And you see, our, our works should mirror and should match what we claim to believe. And true and genuine faith is always demonstrated in our actions. It's always done. They're intrinsically linked together. You can't have one, as we're told in the book of James, without the other. I love this story of Abedmelech. There's so many different things that we can see from his life, the way that his, uh, his character demonstrates helping and comforting somebody that's, uh, that's seemingly stuck in a pit. He's willing to take bold stands. He's willing to go the extra mile to help the oppressed. He's willing to be tender and careful in the way that he even rescues. Man, this man had a lot of things going for him, a lot of things right. And I think that had a lot to do with who he had placed his trust in. My hope in response to this, that there would be those of us that think through, have, have more, eyes, more of our eyes open to see people that could use help being pulled out of a pit. This is a heavy season in our world and a lot of people that are struggling. Oh, that we would be a church. Oh, that we'd be a people that have eyes to see people in pits, how to help them out. Let me pray as we wrap up. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this section of scripture. And again, these character examples, some people that got some things right, that that took risks, that went the extra mile to to help the helpless. God, give us eyes to see that. Give us a stir in us, a, a passion for those who can't do anything for themselves, God. I pray that we'd be, as I mentioned, a church that has eyes to see those needs around us, God. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. I thank you for this picture that we see of your character that's so long-suffering, that's always offering the invitation to repent and be restored. We thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.
Thank you for being with us online. During the week, man, I'll tell you what, if there's any way we can serve you, you can always text us at that 97,000. We get that uh, right away. It's a great way for us to pray for you, to be a support. Any way we can do that, please let us know. God bless you. Have an amazing week.